Very good. So we're on a series, Christ's kingdom. What on, you know, where, what is the kingdom? And this today, we're looking at the specific aspect of community. Now, just to get us started. So Betty and I were on vacation for the first couple weeks of June. And we basically started from home, looped through the Great Smokies to Charlotte, North Carolina, out to the Outer Banks for a few days, up to uh, West Virginia, the New River Gorge area, uh, then to Cincinnati, where our grandkids are, and then our other grandkids came out. So we had all the grandkids in one house at one time, which was fantastic. And then we looped home. One question kept popping up pretty much the whole trip. Where are you from? It's And I asked my, my uh, daughter and son-in-law, I just got back from their vacation, and I verified with them that while they were out west in Montana and Wyoming and in those areas, they also got the same question. Where are you from? Now, it's kind of the unspoken question behind the license plate game. How many of you guys play license plate game when you're on? Okay, so you know what we're talking about. Now, we took it a step further because we would tend to cruise some of the parking lots looking for particular license plates that we were having trouble finding. We never did. Now, obviously, Alaska and Hawaii are kind of the gold gems, and we kind of don't even count them. But, well, yeah, we did. But anyway, this year, the hidden elusive one was Idaho. Couldn't find Idaho anywhere. I'm convinced they only have one car, and they only bring it out on Sundays. Um, But basically, we were looking. By the way, Betty did find Idaho about two weeks ago. There were three of them in the space of a couple days in Lakin and Chillicothe of all places. Don't know why, but why couldn't they be earlier so we would have had all 48? But anyway, but we asked that question of where are you from, like in the campground? Where, where are different folks from? We're on the hiking trail. And normally we kind of answer it by just our state, right? Where are you from? Well, I'm from Illinois. Where are you from? You're from Texas or Tennessee or wherever. Um, if we happen to catch that they were from Illinois, maybe we saw their license plate, maybe they had a Cub jersey on, maybe they had something that mentions, we would get a little bit more specific. Well, where are you from in Illinois? And then they would maybe even ask us the same thing. And we would say, well, we're from Lakin, about 30 miles north of Peoria. And that just, we identified it closer back down to the community. So a lot of our identity is our community, the community we grew up in, the community we currently live in, and what I would call the umbrella community of influence. Uh, for me, that would be Goodfield. I grew up outside of Goodfield. We, Betty and I have lived in Lakin for many years now. That's our hometown, essentially. So Goodfield, Lakin, and then the city of influence would be Peoria for us. Within those communities comes a shared experience. We have a common way of doing things. We have mutual reputations to some degree. We have commonality in the food we eat, the words we use, and how we say those words. There's a common air up in our word, up in our world in Lakin. It's not unusual for there to be an R in wash. Um, Washburn. There is no R in wash. Well, there is an R in Washburn. It comes later, but it doesn't come where we put it. But we have that commonality in our attitudes or certain behaviors and occupations and priorities. And all those are kind of shaped by community, what we call community. But this idea of community isn't just limited to our geographic location. That's where we begin it. These same observations about the commonalities 
can be made of any group that has a shared interest. Um, those communities could be occupation-based, hobby-based, mode of transportation-based, each with its own language and attitudes and priorities. If you don't doubt it, watch motorcyclists as they go down the road and meet each, greet, meet each other. They always greet each other, and it's specific. It's like this. You're always, keep the rubber down on the road, guy. That's what you're saying. Or farmers have a tendency to drive their pickup trucks and do the one-finger wave, if you ever notice that. Of course, if you're not driving a truck, you never get that wave, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, it shouldn't surprise us that living out our life in Christ a kingdom-centered life, which is what we're aiming for, also has the same idea of being wrapped up in community. We share a sense of commonality because of the community of being in Christ. Now, like I said, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at various aspects of kingdom life. Today, we're considering a kingdom-centered life is meant to be lived out in community. It's one of those aspects. So we're going to begin our journey in Acts 2, where it began. Um, so I'm going to read. It is technically, if you want to take notes, Acts 2, 42 uh, to 47. And I've got the, um, I'm not sure if they got the CSB up on screen anyway, but yeah, they do. Okay, cool. Didn't double check this before we got started. But anyway, all right, starting. They devoted themselves. Now, the they is all the believers and this is mostly those who responded to Peter's sermon on that first day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord was adding to the number those that were being saved. Now, before we get too far, I need to sh- what I call shoot a bear. Um, we, if we, we can read this with 21st century ears and identify certain aspects that share political systems of communism and socialism in there. They all, they all gave up everything and they all shared things. It's not the same thing. While that system did have the communist, they have the idea of from each according to their ability to each according to their need, but in those systems it's a forced thing. Everybody has to. In Acts, and we'll see this here in a second, it was voluntary. Everybody chose It was just part of who they were. They shared with each other what they had according to the different needs that came up as people had them. Um, To read this, I'm not going to read all the scripture. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it a little bit. But if you want to get an idea where I'm talking about, this is in Acts 4.36 to 5.11. So in brief, Barnabas, who this is the first time he shows up in Acts, but then, of course, he becomes a traveling companion with Paul and stuff. Barnabas sold a field. And he brought the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. And everybody cheered and said, yeah, thank you very much. And it was fantastic. And then the very next chapter, a couple, a husband and wife, perhaps seeing Barnabas' example and how that was received, decided that they would sell a field. Now, notice they decided it was their choice. 
they sold a field and they brought the proceeds, but they kind of told a fib or an outright lie. They said, this is the whole proceeds, but what was really going on is they held some back. Now, they did not have a good ending, and this is probably one of the places in the Acts where you go, what in the world was God thinking, but he struck him dead, okay? Um, but it wasn't because they didn't give the whole. It was because they lied about what they gave. So that's where I'm kind of pulling in. It's not about compulsion. It's about generosity, and that's a kingdom community principle. It's just being generous, being open and saying, yes, this, this is something that I hold, but boy, if you need it, let me know and I'll help you out. Okay, That's a kingdom property. But there's more to the community than just that piece. But a lot of times that's all we look at. Because what else did they do? They had the shared experience of listening to the apostles' teaching a lot of times. They fellowshiped with one another. They hung out with one another. They liked each other. Um, they ate together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They visited one another. And Acts says that they did this all with joyful and sincere hearts. It was part of who they were, that community. That's part of what should mark our community and the rest and the broader aspect of the kingdom community of fellow Christians. You see, it's not, this isn't just a social club or gatherings based on a shared occupation or hobby. It's a kingdom-centered community that focuses on Jesus Christ. It's kingdom-centered because the king's at the center. That's the whole point. And that was the point of the folks that were hanging out in Acts. Now, there's kind of two promises throughout this. There's a bunch of verses that we could go here. But there's kind of two I want to pull out. The first one is a promise that David wrote in Psalms. It's Psalms 133, verses 1 to 3. And it says, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. It's like fine oil on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard into his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there in that unity or in that harmony, the Lord has appointed a blessing, life forevermore. There is something wonderful when, un when there's a unity in the community. And that, that was an unintentional rhyme, but it worked really well. It's, there's a blessing there, and it's, it's a joy, and there, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. The second promise is from Jesus in Matthew 18:20, Probably one you've heard, I think we maybe even quoted a little bit this morning already. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, two or three is the smallest unity unit of community that is possible. You can't get much smaller than two or three and still call it a community. But if you do have two or three, guess what? There is a community there, although be it a really small one, but it is still that. And guess what? The promise is in that gathering, when people are together, Jesus is in the midst, just like he's here today. Now, as you read through the Bible and stuff, it's interesting to see that while we see the hallmarks of community in the gatherings of Christ followers, the Bible often uses the language of family to really identify them. The kingdom-centered community is more than just a community. For us, a community is kind of like a neighborhood. There's people we kind of hang out with. But in the whole scheme of Bible, of Scripture, it's family. 
Now, just to kind of start, I got it's a little humorous story that I ran across to kind of set us set something up for us. So one day, a traveling preacher was making his rounds in the hills of Appalachia, and he came across the large group milling about outside of a church. Now, curious, he uh, stopped and introduced himself and asked the guy that was there, seemed to be kind of sort of the leader, what was going on? And the guy answered, well, we mean to have a funeral, but the preacher hasn't shown up. I don't suppose you wouldn't mind helping us out a bit, seeing as you're a man of God. And the traveling preacher thought about it and said, yeah, I can, I can help you out here. I'm agreeable. And so they, they walked in up to the front of the church, and the rest of the folks that had gathered filed in behind him. Now, the, the visiting preacher trying to get a clue as to who in the world just died, who's recently departed. He looked at the casket, but it was closed, so no big clues there. He leaned over to the guy and said, brother or sister? And the guy responded, nah, it's just a cousin. Now, some of you may not have got that because it's part of the language we don't use anymore. There was a time, not that all that long ago, where we would refer to each other as brother and sister. Brother David, would you please turn the lights on? Or Sister Catherine, your potato salad is great, and brother this and brother that. And it wasn't that unusual, but it was a big reminder of family, and that's kind of what was going on there. Is this a brother or sister that we're talking about? Nah, just a cousin. Anyway. It sounds formal, but it's kind of a reminder that it is all about a family. Now, Paul wrote something down. We're going to read it out of 2 Corinthians. It's actually 6.18, the tail end of 6 and the beginning of 7, 7.1. And Paul wrote this. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to the completion and the fear of God. Now, this isn't one of those times. I just need to make sure that you all understand. This is not one of those times where a modern translation inserts the implied daughter. Okay, there are plenty of, there are some verses like that, and that's perfect. There's, there's case for that. In the, in the Greek, it does specifically say sons and daughters. Paul is kind of pulling together several Old Testament verses to pull together this one gigantic truth. God is our father, and we, through faith in Christ, are his sons and daughters. And like any family, we have some really strange siblings. Uh, there's one I want to point out, point of trivia. You can look it up later if you don't believe me. Did you know that rebel rock star Alice Cooper is your brother? Some people know it. Some people don't. Fantastic. Now, Paul wasn't just declaring our relationship with God and each other to make us feel good, okay, or to give us a label or anything like that. It's not a socially based tribal connection to each other. There is really a kind of a twofold expression that comes out of this idea of God the Father and us as sons and daughters. The first of those expressions is to share the family business of extending the kingdom of God. In a passage, Paul likens this to being ambassadors and ministers, which I know that we got baggage around the term ministers. It basically just means to serve. So ambassadors and those who serve. So anyway, we'll read this. 2 Corinthians 5. 18 to 21. Everything is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the family business, if you want to call it that. That's what, when we become part of Christ's body, when we join in, when we accept Christ, we join that kingdom and we join that where that is going. That is what God has sent us to. So a lot of people will sometimes say, well, I don't know what I'm called to. You're called to extend the kingdom, whatever that means for you. And it could be because there's a lot of different ways of doing that. How we extend it is always going to be different. But here's the thing. It's always in a context of community and family. No one is left alone to their own devices to do this. No one is a sole survivor on a shipwreck trying to figure out how to survive because we are a community and a family striving to go a certain direction. The second expression, we've kind of already read. Um, So the one expression is the kingdom. The other is what's going on inside. Now, we read it in 618, uh, 2 Corinthians 618, just a couple minutes ago. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul says a lot of words, and what you could really wrap that down to is part of being family is to grow up like our brother, like Jesus, like our Lord, Christ-likeness. It doesn't mean that we're there. It means that we're continuing on that journey together. That's a part of this expression of kingdom and community as well. So we extend the kingdom to others, and we deepen the kingdom in ourselves with Christ. Inviting Christ into our lives and accepting his gracious but dearly bought gift of grace and choosing to follow Jesus that first time is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of a journey. It's the beginning of a brand new adventure, an adventure that unfolds inside of a community and inside of a family a family of faith. Now, as we think about what that means here, now, I probably should have maybe prefaced this a little bit better by saying when I'm talking about community prior, I'm really meaning the whole of the kingdom of God, not just here, okay? Now we're going to narrow it down a little bit and go, well, what does that look like here at Vineyard Church Peoria? So the image I want you to hold on to is the Alaskan rainforest. Now, what you may not have realized is that Alaska does have a rainforest because normally we think of rainforest being places like the Amazon, nice and hot and really toasty. But up in Alaska, they have a rainforest, and that is technically what it is. It is really surprising even though they have trees. uh, They're all coniferous. Um, The biggest of the bunch is the Sitka spruce, and that thing can reach 150 to 225 feet in height on a soil depth of about 24 inches. Now think about that. And 
when it's really windy and you're walking on that, it almost feels like a peat bog, the whole thing's going like this. And there's a reason for that, because the reason these trees can stand, and what you kind of can't see in that picture, is that the roots are all interconnected. They support each other. That's the only way they can stand and make it to the height that they make it, is because of that network of interconnected roots. And because of that, they can stand up against some pretty strong storms. So looking at our community, looking at Vineyard Church Peoria, there's really four, I'm going to propose four very practical opportunities for growing roots here, growing roots into the kingdom-centered community here at Vineyard Church. The first is what we're experiencing right now, Sunday morning gathering for the worship, for word, for prayer. Um, the strengths of that community are it's a shared experience. We all share in this in some way. And the many interactions, the buzz and the, and the discussions and, and the greetings and things that happen before and after the service and the praying for each other and the various things that happen. But that is part, that is one uh, aspect of growing in community. Another opportunity is participating in one of the service teams. Now, that may not quite sound right because you're doing something and there is a task at hand whether it's greeting folks or making coffee and doing the food, helping with vineyard kids, running the various tech, hosting the service, recording uh, the offering after the service, praying for folks, leading worship, bringing, bringing the word, and probably about, about another dozen or so that I probably don't remember, haven't forgot, or don't often see. There's a lot of opportunity for that. But serving others in itself is an expression of community. But there's more to it because oftentimes those teams become interact. The people that serve on those teams serve with each other. And there's an interconnection that grows there as well um, that is vital and that is important. So it's not only the relationship that is built with the people you're serving, but also those that you're serving with is part of the way that grows. Now, the third opportunity is probably the one that maybe came up to mind in your mind first, if I were to ask you to give me an idea of what we were talking about. And that's joining a small group. Now, Betty and I have been a part of a vineyard small group since we began here. Uh, we started at Danny and Sharon Johnston's, uh, and I can tell you, and some of those groups are still with us or we're still very connected with. And it's grown and changed and moved around and done different things over time, but it's still, we've still maintained that flow, uh, even though the people have changed. I will tell you, being the introvert that I am, Plugging into a small group can be very scary at first. You're entering into stuff. You haven't got the foggiest idea what these people are like. Are they going to like me? Are they not going to like me? Are they going to, what's going to happen here? But the truth is, is that those unknowns, they only last a short time. And it doesn't take long for a deep sense of community and family to be developed through just chatting with each other about life, discussions on the topic at hand, praying for one another. And it doesn't take long, and we learn that we can trust these folks. We can trust these folks with our thoughts and our hearts and our hopes. Now, I will say this. Every small group is different. It's, there's a flavor to each one that's partly because of who's leading it and partly because of the group dynamics. The small group that met at Denny and Sharon's isn't the same dynamic and feeling as the one that we're involved now with. 
Okay, that's that's just part of being in a small group. Things change. Somebody comes in, somebody leaves. It changes the dynamic a little bit. So no one will be upset or in any way think less of themselves or you if you attend to try a group out and it doesn't quite seem to fit. And then you go and try another one. That's perfectly cool and great, and we, we actually encourage it. Find the one that works for you. Now this fall... There will be three or four groups to plug into. Uh, some of this is still in, being baked. Um, Antonio leads a group at his home. Um, Matthew's launching one here at church this fall. I believe that's still in, in queue. Oh, you got them up there. Cool. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, the, the, our small group, Betty and I and Dave and April Scott co-lead it. We meet at Dave and April Scott's house on Tuesday night. Although, to be honest, we're on what we call our summer hiatus right now. We'll start up again in September. Um, but anybody is more than welcome. Now, I can't, I can't speak for all the groups and what they look like and how they work. So I'm just going to give you kind of a look inside of our group and what our group looks like, just so you kind of know what you may be walking into. So the first thing that happens is as people are arriving, we're just chatting. We're just talking. And we're saying, well, how does your week been? Or how's this thing going? Or what are you looking forward to? And um, our group's been together long enough that that is our icebreaker. And I don't have to ask too many questions. It just sort of happens. But we still will ask that question on occasion. It's kind of the normal buzz that happens when friends gather around. After a bit, uh, depending on how the flow of the conversation and things are going, um, we'll move into what could be called a loosely structured discussion time. Um, It's generally centered on the Sunday morning message, the previous one, Um, but our goal isn't necessarily to pick it apart. It's not. It's to consider the application. How do we, what did we hear and how do we walk it out? How do, what do we do with what we've got? Um, And it isn't a lecture time. Unlike this where I'm talking to you and you guys are sitting nice and listening, I hope kind of sort of nice and listening. Um, Our small group, we don't do that. At the most, I may teach for five minutes at different times, but nothing nothing long. It's discussion. We want to learn from each other. And we learn from each other just by asking questions and and letting people have the opportunity to ask. No one is obligated to answer a question. It's, It's all free will giving as far as what we want to do. So we'll have that kind of loosely structured discussion time And then after that, we'll move into, well, what's our prayers, praises and prayer requests this week? Um, Because the one thing we do do a lot is pray for each other. And then we'll take those prayer requests, kind of write them down, make sure we remember them. But then we'll worship first. Uh, Three or four songs, we'll have some time of worship. And then from worship, we'll move right into prayer. And then again, we'll pray for each other. Sometimes, and we'll just go around the group, whoever feels led to Pray, praise. I mean, nobody's forced into it. We welcome anybody who would want to pray to pray. Um, but we do make sure that everything's covered. Um, and then basically, then we chat some more, if you can't figure that out, before we leave. Now, that's basically what it looks like, but I also left out a whole bunch of stuff. So stuff like talking about food. Um, okay, the small groups that here, they know that that's a reality. Um, if I want to get a laugh, we just start talking about food, and, and pretty soon we're talking about ice cream or something, who knows what. Uh, laughter, tears, focus prayer, meaning somebody's having a really rough time with something. 
we'll set them where everybody can gather around and pray specifically for them for a period of time. Um, we also text prayer requests throughout the week. Uh, it's a very active part of this small group. And playing games. Sometimes we don't do anything more than play a board game. I mean, it happens sometimes. That's what ours look like. That doesn't mean that yours may look different, may look the same, may not fit you, may fit you, who knows. The strength of a small group is is that you get a deeper level of connectedness, community and family that you feel that you can't really get here on a Sunday morning. There's just not enough time, not enough bandwidth. But it's also a place where we can be ourselves, a small group, uh, warts and all. It's a place of encouragement and support. But it's also a place that can lovingly challenge our thoughts and our attitudes. These become our friends that can tell us the real stuff. Now, just so you know, my definition of a friend is someone who will tell me I have mustard on my tie. Okay? If they'll tell me where my faults are at, then I know that they're a real friend. They're looking out for me. Okay? So a small group can have that aspect too. Not in a bad way, in a nice way. You guys don't understand that, right? We can really, I don't care how small a congregation is, we can hide on a Sunday morning. It's very possible. But hiding in a small group is really difficult because that's really what they're for, to gather together and to link in in some way. Now, I mentioned that there were four opportunities. And this last one is different because while everything else is kind of something that the Vineyard Church Peoria lays out as possibilities, this is not one that's organized in any way. This is actually one of your own making. It's basically, if you want to boil it down, it's connecting with others outside these walls or outside a small group inviting folks over for soup, saying yes when someone invites you to a meal after church, or being the one to start that invitation. Um, Maybe it's going to ball games, helping with the move, calling someone out of the blue just to see how they're doing, or in any other way, and there's a hundred different ways that this could work, any other way to connect with folks in a non-church setting. That also is part of kingdom-centered community. Because you notice all the way back in Acts, they went from house to house. They enjoyed each other's company. They hung around with each other. That's kind of the way that it works. Now, back to the spruce trees for a moment. Because there's a little bit of a foul. I have this rule. Every metaphor or simile breaks down at some point. And the truth is, is that while the root system, and that's really the way it is, it's not a 100% accurate picture of what our life connected in a Christ-centered community is. Because we don't stand against the storms of life based solely on our interconnectedness with each other. Because unlike the Sitzka spruce, we have a taproot. Our taproot is anchored in Jesus. And between being anchored to Christ and standing on the rock and being connected with each other, that's how we can stand. That's how we stand. Not only do we support others, but we receive support. Sometimes when we don't need it or don't even expect that we're going to have it, it's going to be there. So we began with the question, where are you from? Probably there's a more important question, maybe a more appropriate question. Where are you heading? Where are you going? To be honest, it sounds like a small group question. So we need to get together and I need to ask that question and see what everybody answers. Where are you going? Where are you heading? Now, we can have several answers to that question at one time. We can have a life direction, 
heading, marriage, family, retirement, service, whatever. We can have an occupational heading of advancement or continuation or change. But we also have a spiritual heading. And for me and perhaps you, hopefully you, that heading aims at extending Christ's kingdom in our lives, both to those around us and also in us. And that means that we need to abide in Christ more and more each day, growing deeper into his love and Christ's likeness and extending that love out to others. Our direction, our heading, our where are you going? It's a kingdom-centered life that is being lived out in community. 